Um, so we're going to be at Ruth chapter 2 this morning. Um, that is page 259 in my Bible. I have no idea what page it is in your Bible. Um, if you are on a phone, it's probably easier to find, but it's not as cool as the real word in print. So that's just, uh, just for you to know. Um, thank you, Pastor Eric, giving us those announcements. I applaud you, Austin, for the distraction. Man, you just like plowed through that sucker, deliver the announcements. That's pro level, man. Nice job. Um, so I am Pastor Todd. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I'm the executive pastor here. Um, so I am thankful to be sharing with you this morning. But if I'm 100% honest with you, this was... A difficult sermon to, to just kind of bring together with what needed to be shared this week. Um, my guess is there's probably two competing reasons that were kind of going on for me. One is the fact that, you know, we're titled Selfless Generosity this morning. So we're talking about generosity, talking about, we're going to have that money talk. Man, nobody likes money talks, it's challenging. Makes the room uncomfortable. See, it just got uncomfortable. I'm just acknowledging it, okay? And we all kind of have this choice this morning of if we are going to let God's word sift us. And then the other reason, if I'm totally honest with you, just personally navigating distracting decisions in life right now. I'm not gonna lie to you. There's nothing catastrophic going on in my world. It's not. It's just distracting right now. It's busy, contemplating so many different things. And it just reminded me when, when that starts to happen, an anxiety from life's details starts to well up. And, and it starts to muffle your relationship with God. Just kind of just kind of turns down God and, and the volume and the craziness of life just gets turned up. And I was reminded, I was reading this week, and I shared with um, a couple of people. I was reading in Colossians, in Colossians 3, 15 and 16. You don't have to turn there, but it says that we are called to let the peace, the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Just let that sink in. Let the peace of Christ rule. That word rule translated, looked it up, it means to umpire. Anybody seen, watch any baseball? You got the Little League World Series going on, right? The guy behind the plate, the umpire, he makes the call. It's a ball, it's a strike. You can argue with him, doesn't go real well, but he makes the call. So we're supposed to let the peace of Christ make the call on everything coming at us. And I was just reminded, it is that peace that we're guaranteed in Jesus that needs to be dictating what's happening, what's coming in, the barrage of things. We left off at the end of Ruth 1 seeing Naomi honestly handle this poorly. She was angry. She was bitter. She's frustrated, heading back into Israel, back to Bethlehem. She wasn't exactly letting that peace that comes from God rule any of the details happening in her life. 
This is just a reminder that the peace of Christ can't umpire your life if you aren't allowing the second part that it says in Colossians 16, if you aren't allowing God's word to dwell in your hearts richly, not just be there, right? Pastor Eric just said it. You could be the best theologian. You could know all this stuff, but it's not dwelling richly in your hearts. It's hard to have that peace rule on things. Colossians gives us this final instruction on quieting the anxiousness, the bitterness, the lack of trust, and it's focusing on thankfulness. It's highlighting the things that you have to be thankful for in your life. And that thankfulness refocuses our eyes, it redirects our hearts, and it allows the volume of God and the relationship with him to get turned up. And so we're in chapter two this week in Ruth, and we see Ruth handle that piece of it magnificently. As she steps out in faith and she trusts God, we also see God's wonderful providence unfold in the details, realizing we can realize that he is faithful and always Worth following. I'm going to switch over here. So you're in Ruth chapter 2. All right, now we're good. You got me on this one? We're good now. All right, let's do it. Now we can get to business. So, chapter 2, um, they're back. All right, Ruth is just kind of getting set out. They're getting settled in, and here's what we got going down, verse one. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter, So she set out, and she went, and she gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, let me just pause for a second. That's kind of the literacy that they're, they're joking with us. Just so happened to be in Boaz's field. No, God planned that. So they're kind of messing with us like she just so happened. No, no, God put her in that field, led her there. So uh, verse three, four, let's do four instead because I already read three. And and behold, Boaz, he came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered him, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So let's pause right there. Look, we got to remember this. She sets out, right? Ruth sets out. Ruth had no idea what God had planned for her in the short term. She had no clue. She was utterly clueless 
with God, with what God had for her in the long term and what he was going to do with her life. But she stuck to the basics. She stuck to the basics. She was faithful. That's all she knew to be. She just knew to be faithful. We see it pour out of her in her actions. They had returned to the land. Ruth acts, and she heads out to the field to work. She knows that there's going to be provision left in somebody's field. She's just got to go out there and work for it. And why does she know that? Because homegirl knows her Bible. Because in Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, Right? They would have known this in, in Israel, throughout Israel. They would have followed these laws. It says this in Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after the harvest. And just in case you got a vineyard, it says in 10. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So God left this commandment for them to follow, to allow for provision for the poor, to take care of them. Now, it wasn't gathered up and handed out to the poor. They still needed to go out and work, and Ruth knew that. And she stepped out and she took action, trusting that God was faithful and would provide, and that someone would follow after God's word there. So there's a trust in God for her to take actionable steps and going to glean. He provided the way. She just needed to trust and take action and work. From there, God was going to guide and direct her. That was it. So there was provision on the field. Doesn't take away the amount of faith that it would need to go out for her to gather. Knowing that fact that there's some food out in the field doesn't take away, you might even question, go, well, that's an easy step, right? If they have that law, if everybody's got to follow that, that should be easy. You go out, you pick what you need, you go back home. But you got to understand, look, she was a foreigner. She had no respect in that culture. She wasn't even liked in that culture. She was a woman. She had no rights. And on top of that, she was a widow, so it wasn't like some man was going to stand up for her in that time and in that culture. Her taking a step to go out and gather food was an immense amount of faith considering all the possibilities that would happen to her. She could have been taken advantage of. She could have been hurt. She could have not found enough food. All sorts of things. Do you think that if something happened to her, that anybody in that culture was going to be overly concerned about a foreigner woman without a husband? No. There's a tremendous amount of faith to step out and trust that God will provide there. They're faithful steps. Faithful steps. And so here's our first takeaway. I need you to get this. I need to get this. Your steps cannot be guided by God if you never take a step. I mean, if you just, if I hope and I pray really hard, maybe someone will pick it up for me, put it on my front doorstep, and it'll be there. It doesn't really work that way. Faith actually requires you to step out in faith. And two, Here's the other thing. You gotta take a step. The second thing is 
you've got to be willing to step in God's direction. In God's direction for you. What does it mean to live by faith? I mean, come on. We just hit up some James, man. Dude nailed it. To live by faith means to take God at his word and then act upon it. For faith without action is dead, Warren Wearsby says, in being committed. That's faith. So we see Ruth sticking to the basics well. She leads us well in this going, I know God's word. I'm going to trust God's word, and I'm going to walk in that. I don't, I don't know exactly where he's taking me, but I'm going God's direction. That's the first thing. The other side, right, we see Boaz's godly character. Man, he shows up on the scene for the very first time. Man, and let me tell you, it says that he was a godly man. He was a man after God. Piper calls it he was a God-saturated man. I love that. He was a God-saturated man. We see that in verse 4, just in the way that he walks out and he greets his managers in the field, almost with this uh, approach of prayer of blessing for them from the Lord. And they respond back to him, which means they respected him, they respected his faith and the way that he lived his life. He had a standard. Because it was in his speech and it was in his actions. Let me tell you something. Mama didn't raise no fool. And she's over there. When the words and the actions start matching up, that's something of value. Boaz spoke like a God-saturated man, and he acted like one. It didn't matter the company that he was in. Didn't matter if he was with friends. Didn't matter if he was at work. Didn't matter if he was with his girl or whatever. He was the same godly man in every area of life. I'm going to take some liberty right here, okay? If, you are, if you're a single lady, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, or you're dating somebody, find a God-saturated man. And if you can't find a God-saturated man, then darn well wait for one. Because if you are interested in a guy or you're going to pursue after a guy and he can't be committed to his faith and following his Savior, then what makes you think he'll be committed to you? Don't waste your time. Let God have him, grow him up, and then be interested. And if you're a single dude and you don't like that, if you're not a God-saturated man and maybe you cower at the question of if you are or not, you need to turn some things over to the Lord. You need to let him mature you in his word and in your faith and in commitment to him. I'm not saying you're going to walk everything out perfectly after that. Lord knows I certainly do not. Man, but be a God-saturated man first. Everything falls into place from there. And we see that in Boaz. We see this godly character in the obedience to follow his law before we even meet him. He followed it, right, by we know that he left harvest in the fields 
for the poor and the uncared for to come and glean from. And what we know is he's the one in charge of the field. So he's telling them, you harvest here, you don't go any further. You make sure that they leave it. Her manager, his manager knew when, when Ruth came and she asked him, he let her. He knew that he had to. That was an instruction from a boss. You don't let somebody in your boss's field unless you know you have their permission. So he lived this out. We see this evidence kind of flowing out of him just by what people say about him, how he holds himself, and even how he tells people to conduct themselves. That challenge, here's the other thing I need you to get, that challenges us, like Boaz was willing to be obedient to God's word and live that out in his life, he left room in the field for provision. So I'm gonna ask you, have you left room in your field for provision? to take care of God's people and to the body of Christ? Yes, I'm talking about tithing. Yes, I'm talking about serving. Yes, I'm talking about how you use your talents and how God gifted you to give back to this body. This body. It was a couple, um, I think it was last week, I was talking in the VIP huddle to our volunteers. We gotta understand something. You're, you're sitting in this place. We were given this place. The local church is God's plan A. It's God's plan A to see the gospel go forth and his name proclaimed and glory brought to his name. There's no plan B. We checked. That is his design for carrying out the good news. So how you provide, how you give should be here. It should impact this local body, this body of believers. And it should come in here and it should pour out of these doors onto the streets of Easton. And it should impact this town. And when people see us stepping out faithfully in God's direction, that impacts other people. When you read through Acts, that's what was happening. It was these local towns, these local churches where they were willing to be committed to invest in them. They gave everything, and what happened? You saw lives changed. We've been sold on this entertainment economy and this, if it doesn't please me, then I'm gonna pull back, and that's not God's design. God's design is for us to be obedient to his word. I am not stepping on toes, I'm stomping on some. I get that, and my toes hurt. My toes hurt because I'm getting stepped on right here with you. This isn't fun to deliver this. It wasn't like, oh, I can't wait for Sunday. This is gonna be awesome, so awesome. Everyone loves this talk. but I'm not gonna stand up here and sell you a bunch of junk. I 
can't do that. I don't have any desire to pursue after sinkholes in the world. Ain't nobody got time for that. And we see Boaz leave an example for us as men, as women, for how we are to conduct ourselves. As godly people, what that's supposed to look like in providing and caring for people. And we see that it doesn't stop. And I know, maybe you're asking this. You go, look, Pastor, I get that. Have you seen the size of my field? You get what I'm saying? Some of you might be like, man, I don't even got a field. The size of the field doesn't matter. The blessing of generosity and the obedience to God does matter does matter. So we pick up and we see now it doesn't even just stop with what God's word said, what he was supposed to do. We now see Boaz go above and beyond with his generosity. We see not not even just generosity, but remarkable, remarkable generosity. So pick up with me in verse eight. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, listen, my daughter. Listen to the respect he has for her. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. I love her response. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and you came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Man, you should underline some stuff in there. Verse 13, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me And spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. A couple more verses, 14. And at mealtime, so it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. It gets better. And at mealtime, he said to her, come. Come here. Eat some bread. Dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Man, those were some pretty incredible provisions. So he follows the law, 
and allows them to reap around the edges of the field. But when he sees her godly character, how she's conducted herself, he's amazed by it, and his generosity goes beyond that in helping her meet a need. He knew the grave situation that she was in. So not only does she get to glean, but now he's saying, look, follow after the women in the field, okay? One, my men are gonna protect you. Don't go anywhere else because I don't have any control over those people, but I got control over this field. You stay in this field. You follow after my women that are gleaning and you pick up wherever you want. Just follow after them. And then he says, he tells his managers, look, you get some of the bundles, right? He's gathering up the wheat. Pull off some of the heads and just leave them on the ground. Let her pick those up too. Give her some of the good stuff. And then... She wouldn't have been allowed to eat with them. So you see, too, how awesome Boaz is. He brings out hot food for his people to eat at the end of the day. And he has his manager serving water. That's a little countercultural. So you see this high bar of godly character in both Ruth and both Boaz. And he is providing not just generosity, but above and beyond that for her. She was allowed to work and eat alongside the women. She was given protection. She was given provision and service with the water. This is unheard of. And that's because faithful following creates opportunity for gospel boldness. Faithful following creates opportunity for gospel boldness. Boaz gave witness to all that Ruth had done faithfully, and he speaks life into her. Even that is a level of generosity. So first takeaway from this remarkable generosity, don't miss the one defining thing Boaz says to Ruth. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward given For the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. She didn't rest. She didn't believe. She didn't follow anywhere except under God's wings. Following the word of God and faithfully, faithfully residing under his wings is the only way that we can fully satisfy the heart. When we seek satisfaction anywhere else, we end up being disobedient and dissatisfied. There's a correlation between those two. Laboring after the world does not satisfy, but we have full satisfaction because of the grace of our Lord. Ruth's response to Boaz should also be our other takeaway. Man, she is humble. She is thankful for the grace that's been shown to her. She's a foreigner. She's a widow. We don't see her despise her situation, but rather she accepts it. She's walking boldly in it. And when grace is shown to her, she allows it to comfort her and encourage her. She embraces it. It's John Piper that says this. I love this. Grace shown to us isn't always to lift us out of lowliness. It didn't immediately change her circumstances, 
But he says, sometimes it's just intended to make us happy in God. Sometimes it's just to bring us joy in relationship with him because of the grace that's shown to us. Last point is we see, picking up in verse 17, God-sized impact happens. It happens when life's done God's way. So verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So I want you to imagine she's worked, right? She's got a five-gallon bucket full of wheat that she's picked up. Okay, that, that's pretty good. Okay, have you ever picked up individual little kernels of wheat? Okay, I'm not picking up five gallons worth of individual kernels of wheat. That's laborsome. Girl could work. Man, if she, she had a load. And she took it up and went into the city and her mother, sorry, verse 18, and law saw what she had gleaned and she also brought out and gave her the food that she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? You know she had to be thinking like, because you need to go back there tomorrow. And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi, you got to imagine her face. You know she had to light up, right? Verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in any other field you be assaulted. Naomi knew the dangers. Last verse, so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Naomi instructed Ruth well. She told her, stay in Boaz's field, that she'd be protected, that she'd be cared for, and that she would be satisfied staying there. There's some symbolism there. We need to be diligent to stay in God's field. Don't check out on me. I can see the time. This is more important. Don't check out on me. We need to be diligent to stay in God's field, right? Because what happens? What happens? Uh, it's Matthew Henry. He's a bright theologian. He's also dead. Sorry, that's a bit of a downer. Still good stuff. Let us not go to the world and its fields for that which is to be had only with him. Let us not be found in any other field. You know what happens? We get distracted by the other fields. We taste a little bit of provision. We taste some goodness, and we start to get distracted and go, well, I wonder what's in the other fields. I wonder if it's just as good over there. And we start to venture out into the other fields. We just assume that, well, God was so good over here, I, should just, I can leave and go wherever I want. He's got me, right? I'm just going to, when we're supposed to be diligent to be staying in his field staying close to him, 
She leaves us the right example because she stays. She works there to the end of the harvest. We're talking a couple of months. She just stays there and works. We can't get distracted by the other fields. And we can't get bored with being in God's field, thinking that we know better which field to go to. We don't. We deceive ourselves. Look, the gospel impact Ruth has is unbelievable because she's willing to follow after God. She not only impacts her mother-in-law, you look at how we left chapter one where Naomi was and you look at her response by the end of chapter two because she's got a faithful daughter-in-law that left everything and was willing to follow her, willing to follow after her God, willing to work, willing to have faith that it impacts her mother-in-law in a tremendous way. Her tone has totally changed. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be this man who's seen us. Man, she's saying, we've been, we've been cared for. Not only that, but think about the impact besides Naomi. The managers in the field saw and heard the story of what she had done. They heard the impact. They were impressed by her. Not only that, the women had to be impressed by her, the fact that she's working, that she's allowed this provision. They follow after Boaz takes notice. He's impacted by the way that she's lived and conducted her life. Not only that, this town is murmuring and talking about this faithful foreigner. Because when you live God's way, then there's the possibility of a God-sized impact. That's how it happens. Let me ask you, if you live God's way, who's that going to impact for you? Whose life might be utterly changed because you're willing to be obedient and following God's way, not your way? Ultimately, and I'm going to conclude with this thought, ultimately, Ruth's life should point us to Jesus. That's what it's pointing us to. Because Jesus, just like his great, 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 great grandmother, Ruth, Jesus left everything that he knew. He left everything that he knew, and he came to a foreign land on this earth. And he, like her, he came to glean. But his gleaning were for the souls of the lost. His character and his words would define a new way a better way, the only way to have a life that's fulfilled with God. He would pay the ultimate price to show selfless generosity by giving his perfect life for our sinful ones. If you haven't tasted that generosity, then today you need to pray and accept it. You need to reside in God's field. You need to trust him and allow him to transform your life. And it does not stop with that prayer, but it stays 
comes in staying in this body, being in discipleship, knowing his word, and faithfully, I'm not saying perfectly, that's not what faithfully means, but faithfully walking in it. And I promise you, you're going to see some impact happen in the people around you. Let's pray. God, we needed to draw out some difficult things from your word today. But God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for your word above everything. Lord, that it is a guide to us. It gives us direction. Lord, I pray that you would embolden my heart, that you would embolden all of our hearts to faithfully walk in that word. Lord, to not be distracted by the fields in this world, knowing that we need you. Lord, thank you that your son paid the ultimate price for us. Lord, thank you that he was willing to come and glean the lost souls Lord, that he was willing to make things right and show the most remarkable generosity of all. So, Lord, would we remember that? Would we remember that with our generosity as we come back now in communion to give? Lord, would we remember that in our prayers? Lord, would we remember that, Lord, as we take the bread and the cup, knowing what your son did? So we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.